1: You're listening to Moneywise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Moneywise guys back inside the Moneywise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business. And with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise at DavidsonCap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Moneywise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from
0: last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 946 points, or 3%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 169 points, or 4.3%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 557 points, or 4.7%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9.6%. The S&P 500 for the year-to-date is down 13.3%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 20.8%. Now, since this was the last uh, trading day for the month of July, uh, July was a big month. Uh, the Dow was up 6.7%. The S&P 500 was up 9.1% for the month of July, and the NASDAQ was up 12 Point three percent for the month of, of July. I think it was the best month for the Nasdaq since April of two thousand. So that's more than two years since we've had uh, the Nasdaq. Two thousand or twenty twenty? Pardon me, you're correct. 2020. Kyle. Sorry about that. I sorry. forgot to put the other twenty. It's since twenty twenty. So it's been about a little over two years. It's been a long. It's been a long week. It's been a
1: long <clears> week. <throat> so dare I ask the question? is the bottom in or is this just a rally in a bear market and i have a sneaking suspicion kind of like Karnak, i will put the envelope to my head and i know what jeff is most likely going to say
0: well <clears throat> there when we our uh, our clients each week get a uh email from us with with uh some timely news articles and some other information, along with kind of a little synopsis of the previous show, and and the and I think also online it shows that uh, the title of last week's show is "Don't Don't Call the Bottom." So uh, I guess you're trying to call a bottom there, Kyle.
1: Ah, you know <laughs> it's it's still a little too early to tell because I know uh, Dad and I had a very lengthy uh, portfolio skull session. Uh, of course, as we always say to our clients that he's retired, we put it in very large air quotes, <clears throat> but he and I had a very long technical skull session. I wish I could bring him on the air to have the conversation, but I know it would put our listeners to sleep in about 25 to 30 seconds because we got so deep in the weeds. But as Dad, uh, Dad and I were discussing, it's still a little too early to tell, but as time goes on, maybe another month or two, we might look back and see the 3636 that occurred at the beginning of june and that's 3636 on the s&p 500 we could look back to see it as a potential or possible bottom but i would say that it's still too early to tell yes it's been a very nice rally this past week As we talked on on last weekend's show, um, if you're, again, a long-term investor, have a substantial amount of money on the sidelines, it's not a bad idea to start slowly dipping your toes back into the stock side of your portfolio. That's exactly what we did uh, here at Davidson Capital Management on Friday because – There was, you know, this was the roast beef. This was the prime rib of earnings this past week from the big tech names, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Plus, of course, we had the Fed meeting. We had core PCs. It was just a week chock full of, of data. But that's what we did is we started to dip our toes back into the
0: stock side of the portfolio, which we began on Friday. Yeah, Jeff. All right. So before we get to all that and what the changes we made in the portfolio, get back to this, this technical issue that we we're talking about. And I talked a little bit about this last week, this channel that we've been in, which this progressively lower lows and progressively lower highs that went back to the beginning of the year. And that low that you were talking about, that, that 3636 on the S&P 500 that occurred Around the first couple of weeks of June uh, right now is the lowest low point so far of this channel this we 'll call this a bear market channel now i I think i 'd also said last week that we had broken out of that channel a little bit this week we broke out of that channel even further. Um, And and we're also now above the 50-day moving average. We haven't got back, we haven't got to the 200-day moving average, but we're now above the 50-day moving average, and we haven't been above that since late April, early May. Uh, This latest counter-rally, and there have been a total of four counter-rallies this year in this bear market decline. Um, This is the biggest counter-rally we've had so far. As a matter of fact, the last three counter rallies have each been progressively larger. Uh, the first counter rally was eight and a half percent, and then that failed. The second counter rally, we were up ten percent off the on that off that previous bottom. It failed, and that took us all the way into May when there was that another counter rally of about eleven percent. That one failed. That took us to that thirty six thirty six number that you were mentioning earlier, Kyle. And now this counter rally off that low is just shy of 14%. And all these performance numbers I'm talking about are S&P 500 numbers, not NASDAQ, not Dow. So each each one of these counter rallies has been larger, eight and a half, ten, eleven. 10, 11. Now we're up to just shy of 14% and counting. Um, <clears throat> as you said, Kyle, there was a ton of news. In the last week, Uh, I don't know what was more the focus of the market—the earnings news or uh, what the Federal Reserve had to say after uh, the Wednesday Fed market announcement. Yeah, Joe.
2: Well, you also have GDP. You forget about that too. So, in the middle of the week, they announced GDP is what down. It hadn't been revised though. Was it point nine?
0: Well, I wouldn't say that GDP was necessarily a positive contributor for the. I think it was a little worse than expected. Yeah. It, was, it was news. Yes. But I see we're coming up to the next break, so when we come back, uh, we'll cover each one of those individually.
1: Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise Podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, we had just the absolute prime rib of earnings that came out we had fed news we had gdp news we had core pce in fact during the commercial break jeff had so many pieces of paper and things to cover that he needs an extra long desk extra wide desk to be able to lay it all out so jeff hopefully you got everything organized because i know it's a ton of information we have to go into
2: get your notepads out
0: that's right get your legal pads out. there'll be a
2: test afterwards okay yeah
0: if Dad was here, he'd say Dad don't don't bury them in all these numbers, Jeff, so I'll try not to, but there's I think the one one thing Joe said after the break um to sum it all up with the exception of what the Federal Reserve had to say, the news from an economic standpoint that came out uh was generally worse than expected." We'll start with u s home sales u s home sales fell to their lowest level in two years uh down eight point one percent year over year. I think that was a little worse than expected uh and probably no surprise for any of us that's that you know what's happened in housing i'm I'm now hearing uh some pundits calling it a housing crash. Now I find that, uh, a little hard to believe. I wouldn't call it a housing crash at this point. Uh, we also had durable goods. Now durable goods actually was up, um, on, uh, so surprise gain in defense aircraft bookings were up 1.9% in June. Pending home sales dipped 8.6% in the month of
2: June.
0: Uh, so. Again, another data point for the home segment, which is really no surprise, uh, it's slowing. There's no doubt that it's slowing, but hardly a crash at this point. The question is, how much does does this continue to the point where homeowners, you know, since ho- homes are, for most people, homes are the vast majority of their net worth. And if they start seeing really large declines in the value of their home, they're going to feel less wealthy. And that has an effect that can have a psychological effect that spreads into, you know, maybe they spend less, uh, maybe they save less, but I want to get to saving here in just a minute. <clears throat> Cause I know that uh, we've talked a lot about how much cash is on the sidelines. Uh, it's been built up through the pandemic. Joe had mentioned, uh, GDP, GDP shrunk by nine tenths of a percent. The first reading of second quarter GDP was down nine tenths of a percent. The consensus was actually a positive number, at least according to the economic uh, statistic uh, service that I look at. <clears throat> I certainly have never heard any of the pundits on CNBC say anything that they were expecting first reading of, of second quarter GDP to be positive. But that was the consensus was like a pl- positive. Uh, Like three-tenths is what I I subscribe to. So being down nine-tenths of a percent, well, the first thing that comes, you know, everybody starts piling on, are we, quote-unquote, in a recession? Now, that question was actually posed to Chairman Powell in the uh, Q&A after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates three-quarters of a percent on Wednesday. That's two three-quarters of a percent interest rate increases to the Fed funds rate. That hasn't happened since I was in high school in the early 1980s, two three-quarter percent back-to-back interest rate increases. But someone point-blank asked Chairman Powell if he thought we were in a recession, and he said, quote, I do not think the U.S. is currently in a recession, which is very interesting, quote, coming from the Federal Reserve governor. Um. Even the president, I think well, the president has oh, asked that's that a question. Shock. That, yeah. that's no, no, a what, was, shock. It, was it the president? or Was it Yellen? Janet, well, no, Janet Yellen was did it. Okay, it was It was Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, his ex ec- of the United States, and and, and Chairman
2: So. <laughs> they're all I mean, on the same page, folks. At least the three of them are on the same page. But but but, but let's
1: let's just clarify this for all of our listeners. From the classic econ one hundred and one that we learn in school, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth is a technical recession. We are in a technical recession now. Right. Obviously, the left side of the aisle, they're going to spin it as far away from the R word as they possibly can because they know they have an impossible task of holding on on to power in Congress come November. And so the last thing they're ever going to admit is, yes, we're in a technical recession. Now, to drill down a little bit deeper, when we've had recessions in the past, it's also accompanied by more job destruction. And so this is what the Biden administration is holding on to what the Federal Reserve is holding on to. That we have not seen the job dest- destruction that normally is accompanied with negative GDP growth. Now, granted, we have to go to the end of September in order to get final confirmation whether that nine tenths or the negative nine tenths of a percent negative GDP is going to hold so we still don't have confirmation cuz like jeff you just said it was the first reading of second quarter gdp we so there two I, more revisions we, yeah we won't, end we of won't know until until end the of september in september so the biden administration is not going to ever admit that it's a recession do we have job destruction no are is job growth going to be slowing down well we're going to find out come next week when we get the employment is is it coming out next week jeff or are yes. they skipping okay no. so it's going to be coming out the first week of august what the unemployment number is, it's around 3-6 right now. So we'll see because we've seen some bigger corporations. Amazon, for instance, they've cut over 100,000 jobs. That they, they, that was reported in their earnings call this past week. We know some of these other big employers have been slowing hiring, freezing hiring, or cutting some headcount. So we don't have the job destruction but that we yet. normally would see. But yet. It's, yeah. I mean, we may, yeah. we, we, may we may here in the months to come. We don't know. It's, it's going to take time. Just like when the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates, it's a lagging effect on the economy to slow down demand, which will help bring down monetary inflation. So, so it's, it's, it's a lagging effect on, on what the Federal Reserve is doing.
0: So why, you know, we're up 950 points on the Dow for the week, and then the, the big question, why? And even more than that, you know, up almost 5% in a week in the NASDAQ. The question is why? So the why began began on Tuesday when Microsoft and Google Google, Google announced earnings. If you want to continue, Kyle, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, no, I was just going to
1: say what what I think what we saw is after the – during the press conference with Chairman Powell, when he made the comment that he's not going to be providing any more forward guidance – and that we're now going to be, they've always been data dependent, but more focused on data dependency because of the lagging effect of their interest rate changes and their monetary policy. That opened up the door and was interpreted as, as more of a potential dovishness because he also said that the federal funds neutral rate, where they feel they're going to be taking rates by the end of the year is between 3% and three and a quarter. Right. And well, I, I yeah that was the that, big thing' as really soon think, as they said that the market you know, took off like a rocket,
0: so one of the things that I was most concerned about going into the week just past was whether the Federal Reserve was going to have a more hawkish tone given the the latest the most recent cpi print uh, that was my concern uh all, you know i was that was above what all these tech earnings were going to be uh i, I Somewhat surprised by some of the tech earnings that we didn't hear. Uh, really, any at this guidance. point, we we haven't had any bad guidance. The, the guidance was was pretty good, with the exception of Intel, which we don't own. Those that gave bad guidance, they're getting whacked and getting whacked hard. You know, you, you just when you thought all the bad news was you know, in the stock, nope. There's still some more room for some bad news. Now, Intel was probably one of the, the big bigger names this week that got that got whacked. But uh, you know, for the most, you know, Apple, the big one, all the big ones came out Softie, with with, with reason with reasonable earnings. Amazon was also a big beneficiary this week. It was up double digits after its after its earnings announcement. So, you know, that definitely calmed some of the nerves. But as you said, Kyle. What the Federal Reserve governor, the interpretation that, that I got when I heard that, and I've been the most bearish out of all of you, all of us, to the exception of Dad. Um, <clears throat> when I heard what he had to say, I immediately called you and said, Yeah, looks like we're going to have to put some money in because it appears at this point, uh, the Federal Reserve, uh, to me, is, is going to soft-shoe this and, and, uh, I'm just not – I just didn't – I wasn't fearing the Fed at that moment, you know, after that uh uh press conference.
1: Okay. Well, let's pick that up on the other side of this break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. two one six two if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show so, Jeff, I know we, your, your point, we kind of got cut off at the bottom of the hour break. I just wanted to catch up anyone that's just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program. You know, after, and, and I know Dad loves how much time we spend talking about the Federal Reserve, but this is, again, have very to. critical. We have to because so much of the market, the push and the pull of the market, is being driven by the Fed. You know, Fed's monetary policy trying to stave off and bring down monetary inflation. So on the press conference on Wednesday, when Jay Powell announced that they've always been data-dependent. It's not that he said anything new there, but he's talked about kind of ending the forward guidance. And up until that point, you know, Monday of this past week, um, I would say the majority of the market, I would say the market and a lot of pundits and a lot of money managers had priced in three-quarters of a percent increase in the Fed fund rate on Wednesday, which they did. And in September, which is the next FOMC meeting, well, after he made that comment about no more forward guidance and we want to see the effect of the increases we've already made and the one that we just did, and they've got the Jackson Hole meeting at the end of August, and because they changed, I believe, their neutral rate going between 3 and 3.5% three and on the neutral rate, that sent a sign, that sent a message to the market that, hey, it sounds like the Fed is lifting yeah. their foot off of
0: the accelerator a little bit. Well, that's the interpretation at that moment in time. Yeah, Joe, you want to say something? Well, I
2: mean, we've mentioned in past shows, hey, there's no no fun till the Fed's done. So we can address that in a second. But I was, you know, when I was watching Market Watch and some other shows earlier this week, there are some people that actually think they're going into next year, they might – Actually, lower rates. So I think that's also in the back of some people's minds, or they're looking a year forward, and the mar- and the market is always looking forward. And I think that could be part of it, also. Yes, you know, there's good, the, the Fed's going to be more data dependent, which could be perceived as dovish, and 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 that also helped with some of the earnings. Earnings, even though uh, Microsoft's earnings weren't uh, what they expected, either was Google's. The market for some reason or another, actually started buying some of these large-cap tech stocks. And I I didn't look at volume either, by the way, Kyle. You always talk about volume. That would be a good thing to look at. What, What was the volume from the institutional side earlier this week? So. Well, I I I can say over
1: this past week on the buy side, I mean, we're still volume has been light all year. It's been very strange for as much volatility and being in this bear market that we're in to see volume this light on both the buy and the sell side. And we had another week of below average volume um which is interesting which tells me that some investors, you know, possibly even the retail investors, a lot of them have been so in control of their emotions because we've talked about it on past programs i mean i know our client base i have to commend to each and every one of them just for for maintaining such great control over their emotions and not getting too riled up with all the volatility and the fact that we're in a bear market because i've heard this from other money managers of how quiet it has been and how patient and how calm and i read an interesting article in market watch that because we had the pan, you know the 30% pandemic pullback in February and March of 2020, and investors saw how fast the market recovered from the big unknown, because we didn't know how long this global pandemic was going to last. And so some investors during the global pandemic pullback had the knee-jerk reaction, got a ton of money or all their money out of the market, only to see it snap back and recover within four to five months. And that's so fresh in their mind of how fast the market can snap back that during this bear market pullback for 2022, they're like, you know what? I'm just going to hold. I'm going to be in a holding pattern. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to keep my emotions in control. And that's what we've been seeing with our client base. And we've heard this from other money managers as well. And, and, there was a money manager manages tens of billions of dollars, and he said his office is a ghost town. Their, their phones don't ring at all, and that's about keeping emotional control. And we commend all investors for keeping their emotions in control. But a lot of them, uh, this article was referring back to the the global pandemic pullback as something so fresh in their mind, not to panic, not to panic that the market recovers. It always has. It always will. The matter of time it takes to recover. Is the $64,000 question. And so that's kind of where we, where we sit today. But back, but before we went to break, Jeff, you were mentioning that after the FOMC, when Jay Powell made the comment about the neutral rate, going to 3 to 3.5%, three the fact that most likely they're not going to be raising rates to 75 basis points come September, the market interpret that as the foot has been lifted a little bit off of the accelerator, here comes the buying.
0: Well, I, uh, I I didn't hear the Federal Reserve saying they weren't going to raise uh, interest rates 75 basis points at their next meeting. Maybe the market... They alluded, they my, alluded to well, that. Well, here's the thing. I... Part of me wonders if is the reason maybe Chairman Powell was was walking this very fine line between being dovish or being hawkish or, or or saying something that someone in the markets would 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 interpret one way or the other is we have two full months before they meet again, and there's a so there's a complete news vacuum when it comes to the Federal Reserve. The, you know, X this this Jackson Hole meeting or As something like workers. it. Said, so, yeah, we'll have all the Federal Reserve governors going out and doing their speeches and doing this and doing that. But we're going to have you know two full months of data. You know, two CPI numbers, multiple PCE numbers. Uh, we'll have another, we'll have another. We'll have both. We'll have another GDP number, and I, I believe they meet at the end of September. I'm not sure if we'll have the the final second quarter GDP number, I don't think we will, but when they meet again, but we'll have a lot of data that comes through in the next two months. Now, one thing I want to you know, caution everyone, and we and we've cautioned this ourselves, e- even though we raised we, we raised our allocations to stocks this week, so we'll get into that in just a moment, well, is it, you know this could be just a there's a possibility this could be just another false rally. If we get another really hot CPI number here in a couple of weeks, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be well-received by the marketplace. And we all know that the Federal Reserve can say one thing one month and compl- and, and change the tune uh, a month later, if not sooner. We saw that happen in 2018 in the fourth quarter of 2018 with a 20% decline based on just a fear of an interest rate increase we, they never did, you know, didn't didn't happen. Just the fear of an interest rate increase, only to have it all reversed in the first quarter of 2019, when the Fed said, "Oh well, we're 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 not, we don't have really any plans to raise interest rates right now." So just because you know, the the Fed, you know, the, the the mar the message they sent out to the market this week, the market received you know, received a message that was very positive. That doesn't mean the Fed doesn't get you know extra hawkish. You know, come two months from now. That doesn't mean that if this next CPI number that comes out in a few weeks is really hot, that they start you know start floating out how they did before, leak out that they might do a full percent at their September meeting. And I don't think the market is is necessarily expecting that to happen. But they're going to get two full two full months of data. You know, they want to see. All right, we've we've now raised rates twice, the biggest amount. In 40 plus years, is it having an effect? We if need to see it. If, if it's yeah. not having the effect that they thought it would have, then that would lead me to believe that there's the, the 75 may come again. And as we, I think we all just to remind everyone, the real balance sheet runoff begins in September. I think they double the amount. That they had previously announced that that they were going to do. Well, they could raise that even even more. And meanwhile, back in the in the bond market, what's happening to long long term interest rates? They're down, and we're all scratching our heads. The ten year Treasury is I, I, I think two sixty six two sixty six. You have to have to go back to 2.66%. April to see percent to see some you know, the 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 ten year at two point six six percent uh yield well what's going on there why i mean fed funds is uh, is almost about what the 10 year treasury is no one's talking about inverted yield curves which we've been which we've had now for weeks no one's talking about it um <clears throat> so
2: well i think you I, I think
0: you i think that's the one thing you have to say for sure this is not well, what's happened in the week just past and this nice run up and this nice rally we've had in this you know this bear market that goes back to the beginning of the year now, I'm sure some people are saying whether we are in a bear market at all. We'll leave that for for later. People are probably you know wondering, is this really a good time to commit a lot of money back into stocks if I've been way out of stocks? If I've, if I've been, if I cut my, you know, allocations from 75 to 50%, do I go back to 75% now? Is the water all clear? Well, heck no, it's not. No.
1: And we're not saying that at all. The waters are still choppy. They might just be a little less choppy. And this is why we talk about doing everything from a prudency point of view. Stair stepping in, dollar cost averaging in. Very slowly start dipping your toes in. When you don't know what the temperature of a pool is, you don't go cannonball into the deep end. You start slowly on the first step in the shallow end, and you work your way into the water. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. You MoneyWise Guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise Guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your MoneyWise Guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, and just the point that I was making, Before we went to our last commercial break is, you know, at this point in time, it's still going to take time, as we were talking about in the last segment, to see what kind of end effect these interest, these two largest interest rate increases the Federal Reserve has done going back 40 years to see what kind of effect it has on the overall inflation picture, the economy as a whole, and to see if it can bring demand down to, again, bring inflation down. So the Fed is going to have about a 60-day window to see what those lagging effects are. But with all of that said, here at Davidson Capital Management this past week, we had decided to increase our allocations to the stock side of our portfolios in every single asset allocation model. Now, for the majority of our clients in our moderate allocation, that increase was right around approximately a 5% increase uh, into the portfolio, and a majority of that focused on the large cap growth side of our portfolio, and we increased some of our small cap exposure uh, in our asset builder moderate uh, asset allocation models, and so we are slowly tiptoeing back into the equity pool, albeit very slowly, um, and so we're in essence we're kind of hedging ourselves. Because 3636 on the S&P might not be the bottom, but it might. It's just going to take time for that to develop. So for any of our listeners that are sitting on a substantial level of cash or in an allocation that they need to make some adjustments to and maybe get some more equity exposure, we're not saying that this isn't the time to just be doing some reallocation or be committing some money to the stocks out of your portfolio, but do it incrementally. Do it slowly. We did five percent in our moderate allocations. Yeah, Joe.
2: Well, I, I want to hit on something to your to your point, Kyle. And a couple, of, I was, I've been in Dallas earlier this week on business and talking to clients. And a couple of them are asking about, all right, when do you think it's the right time to get back into the market? And there's individuals that, yes, you know, there's clients that we have that we manage their, manage money for them, and they may have a side account where like they do their own, like they do their own trading. And you know, my philosophy, and sometimes the philosophy. When we're buying into our, our large cap growth index fund. It's down over twenty percent. I mean, and my my feeling is, if you're buying something that's down over twenty percent, you know, you're buying it at a pretty good discount. And that, so, if you're looking to put assets to work, look at an easy way to look at it is look at some of the indexes, see what is down the most, and generally speaking, the thing that's down the most is what you want to probably start deploying some assets towards. And the other thing we added was small cap, which is also down double digits too for the year.
1: But again, again, do it incrementally because just because it's down 20% doesn't mean it couldn't go down 25% or 30%. It's all, again, going to be data dependent. But as far as starting to incrementally add to the stock side of your portfolio, you could take this opportunity to do that because when we were having our technical conversation at the first part of the show, you know, there are some technical indications that we have been able to, to get above, such as breaking through the 4,000 gap, the fact that the 50-day moving average for the S&P 500 is flattened and is now slowly starting to tilt upwards. Historically, those are some more positive technical signs, but it, there's no guarantee that it's going to hold. So that's why we're, we're saying to all of our listeners, to all investors, you don't just go do a full-blown cannonball in the deep end of the pool and say, well, I was 30% stocks, now I'm going 90% stocks because I heard the Money Wise guys say it's time to start putting some money back to work in stocks. That is not what we're advocating. Slow and
0: steady. In 2008, uh, when we got to our lowest asset allocations in the history of our company, I think it was October of 2008, uh, and we started doing some and started doing some investing. And when you look back at it in, on retrospect, the low actually occurred six months later in March of 2009. And during that time, we doubled our asset allocation to stocks. We went from about 25, 26, 27 percent stocks at the low point Up to about 50% invested in stocks when the, when the S and P bottomed in March of 2009. So over those six months, uh, we, we based, if you average it out, we, we incrementally added 1% to stocks each week for about six months. Now we didn't actually do it that way. We put it in 2% here or 3% here. Uh, but just over a six month period of time and we, we didn't pick the bottom. You know, the bottom actually occurred, uh, six months, six months later. But it, if you're not in it, you're not going to win it. So and you're not going to be able to
1: time the bottom. You're not no, going to be able no to time the bottom. No one can time the top. No one can time the bottom.
0: So whether this 36 36 number on the S and P is the low of this bear market cycle, we will only know that many, many months from now. You know, sometime in 2023 is when we'll know whether that was the low or not. Uh, <clears throat> but it's definitely going to be dependent on some on some important numbers, and we're not, you know, we're not going to be getting. We're still two weeks away from from the next print on CPI. Next week's economic statistics. There really isn't much, you know, construction spending, factory orders. But we do have the unemployment rate. Be interesting to see. If, the, if there's starting to be a little bit of crack, it's a little bit of cracks in the unemployment rate, uh, given these interest rate increases, given this, the high inflation, if we start to see declines and new jobs added, um, what's happening with wage growth? Uh, you know, we'll see. We, yeah. could, we, we could see a situation
1: with the employment picture that if it's a really good, strong number, that can be interpreted negatively mm-hmm. by the market, as, as you call it, Jeff, the perversion of the market, where what's bad is good and what's good is bad. We could be in that situation when we get the employment data towards the end of next week. So we, we'll have to we'll have to stay tuned to that. You know, if we get a Goldilocks number, who knows? Well, and around the, rally and the could bottom. Continue. Yeah, that it's exactly right. And in, in, in the rally, it's not going to go parabolic as far as up in a straight line. We got a long ways to go to get back to forty eight eighteen on the S and P five hundred, which was the intraday peak in yeah. this last and, cycle. And so I we got a think there's long a, ways to go.
0: I think there's hundred and fifty companies in the S and P five hundred reporting next week. So next, once we get past next week, that gets us through the majority quick, of the S and P five hundred earnings. Yesterday.
2: Quick question, Kyle. Kyle knows this. Yeah. What percentage of the and uh companies have actually beat earnings? Is it a little above seventy-one percent already? that would beat their well, earnings. It's 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 north it's north of seventy percent for sure. And I'll have to go
1: and check the specific facts you know from facts set of what the actual percentage is. But the bottom line is this past week is the earnings came out less worse, and that was a buying opportunity, and we saw that rally and we, you know, had a great week on 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 the uh, on the street this past week. And so for our listeners, if you have some dry powder, slowly, incrementally start putting some of that money back to work. But, again, do it very slowly and be very cautious, stair-stepping in. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. We'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with the investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know there was a a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior. And improving investors' behavior, and so doing some research, and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study, and they released a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return. Um, and and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own and and from time to time when i meet with prospective clients and current clients we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios so in my research i actually Ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time in fact a 20 year time period and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them but also how to not allow humans the your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future so looking at this presentation you know historic and, historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish adje- objectives and achieve returns and achieve returns, the result is is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying first they're looking and trying to identify trends that
0: don't exist in the marketplace. Uh they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in two thousand and eight and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's yep. a that's a, a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting an investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the, the conserv- really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys, Glenn Beck, uh, Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them has got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run, runs gold ads.
1: Mhm. And and you know and again we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because again this 24-hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tuned it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis, you know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses, and really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains, and that's one thing that that in particular really holds investors back is is always having, I mean, losses from 2000, losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind. uh, That's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market. You know, Something else from an emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth. And I know with a lot of the self-help books out there, with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites, I think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70 plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing. The hot investment de jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class for many years. It's been what precious metals. It's been
0: all about gold. The late nineties was the internet stocks, uh, and then but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, have been one of the hottest areas. And then you know here of, of, lately, in the last uh, three four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had, co- they've had a, not, a, a pretty uh, good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that they should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into
1: is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break, and when we come back we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots, or basically chasing the stock de jour or the sector de jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to re- being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves. Uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio and i 've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a ten twelve thirteen percent dividend yield and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they 're giving a twelve to thirteen percent dividend yield and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data Uh, They've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions. And we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict
0: philosophy, as we
1: do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced
0: manager. A a disciplined behavior has many different aspects. One of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined, is especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401K, Contributing as, as much as you can. If you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401K, that obviously that's going to give you the, the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement. Contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again. And I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly biweekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments identical allocations because it gives us the the investment manager the ability to to buy could always be in the market Buying securities, maybe You know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contribute, contributing to your retirement. And even if you're not contributing, if you if you've maxed out your four hundred one k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one too and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So as you
1: said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guess right ratio. And what the guess right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea how I'm they I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data, the bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making, and that's what they—that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so, as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh, investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making, and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this is kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar. The first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't
0: this in kind of uh, a selling or a tempted selling point for equity index the new oh
1: brother did you hit that one right on the head you're absolutely right i mean they use this psych. i mean again marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors decision making and they're putting it into their presentations and like you said this loss aversion all the upside none of the downside Every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches, and so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist, and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations. A la equity indexed annuities. And,
0: and let's give an example. Recently, you we. we had, We've seen all sorts of equity index annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five-year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S&P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S&P, it's even, it's even
1: less than a third, Jeff. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle-of-the-road, more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're
0: talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse is... Like for five years, the, the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm-hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re- and the difference between the two is, well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors,
1: again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made
0: that decision, and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio, because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, Hey, I'm I, a I, schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me, because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash.
1: That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment. If analogies are used to represent stability and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations, again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring. You know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product.
0: And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, f- for example, but there are other examples such as private placement REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the the value of the security could go down, and how uh, those those t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right.
1: And, and, not, and not, you know, can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that. I'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise@davidsoncap.com. So, continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior, and and again going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a, a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys. You know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have, uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so, we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring but we talk about next is mental mental accounting and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others and i would say the best example jeff in this area would be in precious metals
0: that would be that would be one area i could i would also say that in the, to us in this market environment taking risk in long maturity Fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the, the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in, in investing in stocks to us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show, is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash, you know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, So mental accounting can be as damaging to
1: returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, Another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio, now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable... Investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Kramer when people call up and say, Am I diversified? Yes. And they have three or four stocks.
0: Five.
1: five, Yeah, five stocks saying, Am I diversified? And Kramer's saying, Well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks that is not in our opinion diversification something else where diversification saying yeah I'm diversified what if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry and I hate to quit picking on gold but gold miners for instance I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners and guess what they feel that they're diversified But they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, Another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, herding. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes, investors that go along with the crowd simply because there is a crowd tend to avoid catastrophic errors but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding, And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success, I mean, even thinking more of a, you know, being more of a contrarian as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who, defer, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So, again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think
0: the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. And when you get too busy you, you you and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities then you can't you cannot take the you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And
1: so here is another one that again goes along with the media media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises. Raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope, hope, the belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, Let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 1231 2013 According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period. Up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think
0: that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know what. it's going to be close to that. To, I mean, when we're talking about the S and P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers, but you know, because five percent is very low, you know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well a twenty year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. Which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. So I, I think the average, 100% yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you, when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion... And along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your, emo- your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I-, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg, because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion, and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio. You know, and, you know, again, an old saying that investors would have. I mean, here's something an investor would say to themselves. You know, a stock's historic high was $50, but then it declines rapidly. The next thought in an investor's mind is, well, once my stock gets back to $50, i will sell. And so that is hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break. So we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior, and as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing. And I promise you, we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about Again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position, and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. And it's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away so the reason why again we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century we will continue to have that balanced allocation remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area And also, you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio, you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior you know how do investors correct the behavior well first and foremost is having an asset allocation an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model and an allocation model that is rebalanced it's not set it and forget it cuz we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio set it and forget reviews. it is
0: is one of the the most common asset allocation that is typically Found with uh, a relationship that is more sales oriented than it is active management or Meaning, the investor has a relationship with a full service broker. Uh, they they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, move when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on.
1: So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20% annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic.
0: I, I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus, the, the double-digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10% return, but I, don't want, but I only want 20% of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. There, there, there's a, there's a, a version for risk, but the, the, the return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large, but what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help
1: improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector. It's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401K, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401K, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation Model one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment, and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking. We've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes, with our own client base. It's somewhere, it it's
0: somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded, which doesn't sound like a lot, but get out of cal- that's the difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying
1: in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not time ing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, You know, again what we're trying to convey is the all in, all out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their Nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day to day gyrations. And th- stay focused on your long term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer.
0: And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It and is. It, via It is television and gazillion channels of T V The internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC CNBC news feeds, Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet, (laughs) the Atkins diet of. of uh, media consumption too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions
1: and we've learned from this dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear so dad i 'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely but it 's something that i 've been thinking about all week. I wanted to f- get some good you know meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.